Hello, and welcome to episode 149 of Church in Maine, the podcast that is at the intersection of faith and modern life. I'm Dennis Sanders, your host. This is a uh, special episode where we kind of, every so often I bring along um, Lauren Richmond Jr. He's been on a few times, and we kind of talk every so often about what's going on in the news. And so recently um, he came on to the podcast and we talked a little bit about some of the major things happening um especially with Pride Month uh, and sports. And we talked a little bit about uh, what's going on with uh, DEI or diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we talk about uh, the role of women as pastors, especially in light of what recently happened um, at the Southern Baptist Convention. So I hope that you will enjoy this episode. And um so, and yeah, and Lauren is a uh, pastor ordained in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. He is also the host of the Future Christian Podcast, and uh, and he also is a part-time pastor at a United Methodist congregation in the Denver area. So, uh, without further ado, here is my uh, interview and discussion with Lauren Richmond, Jr., Good to have you back here again. Thanks. So I thought we'd talk about some things that are happening in the news as of late. Mm -hmm. Um, June, as both of us know, is we're kind of finishing up. I never know if it's Gay Pride Month or LGBTQ Month or whatever you want to call it month, but Mm -hmm. that is finishing up. Um, And it's kind of interesting to see how things in our culture have really changed and um, in the last few years. And I think one of the things that I found uh, was interesting, you had tweeted a while back was a controversy happening with um, the um, LA Dodgers and um, Mm -hmm. that for several years, of course they have had hosted a pride night and most times you didn't hear about it went on without very much of a hitch this year. It caused a lot more of a, of a stir. Um, and partially because it was who was being honored. And that was the, uh, um, sisters of perpetual indulgence, um, which is kind of a, it's hard to say. It's kind of a, 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 a troop, um, right. LGBT, uh, mostly gay men, uh, in, in drag. Um, and if you are, think about it it's basically in a very kind of outrageous kind of uh nuns habit kind of thing um but that caused a lot of controversy and you were talking about the need in this issue and in this specific issue about uh nuance um could you kind of explain where you're you were going with that and what you are thinking yeah let me first say like i'm a big baseball fan so, or a big sports fan, really in general, and uh, Pride nights have really been a source of controversy for several. I shouldn't say several, but the last few years, 
you know, realize that pendulum has kind of swung back societally. Um, like the Tampa Bay Rays, the baseball team, some players pushed back against a pride night there. I think this was a couple of years ago. Uh, in recent, I think, year, last two years, a lot of NHL teams have been reticent. Players have been reticent about wearing pride night-themed kind of warm-up jerseys. Oh, shoot. Um, so it's it's really been interesting. Um, here in this situation, again, as a baseball fan, the Dodgers um, hosted this night, and we're going to honor the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, I think it was. And Clayton Kershaw, who's a big – he's one of their star players, been with the team a long time. I don't know Clayton Kershaw real well just because I don't follow the Dodgers that closely. But from my understanding, he's fairly conservative Christian, and um, he was kind of bothered, if I can say that term uh, lightly, by you know their presence. Uh, for again, for those who don't follow the story, uh, the Dodgers had invited them, uh, got some pushback then rescinded the invitation, then after getting pushed back from the other side, essentially re-invited them. And then, so Clayton Kershaw had a kind of innocuous statement about, you know, I don't think it's nice to make fun of, I don't remember the word he used exactly, but to something to that extent, others' religion. Um, I think like someone like Ed Stetzer, you know, the Baptist wrote an article kind of against kind of the thing. And, you know, it was very kind of the, typical of people taking people running to their sides, right? Of like, well, you know, the, if we do anything against LGBT persons, like we're hateful bigots. Uh, and conversely, like if we're doing anything that would like uh, denigrate religion, we hate, hate religion and think God is, you know, worthless. Um, and I don't remember, um, exactly what I said, but I've, I've been kind of fed up of late with this kind of extreme polarism, um, especially, especially from like camps that I associate with, because I just feel like, I feel like we're smarter than that and should know better than that. Um, so I, I said something to like, you know, I can understand that, um, you know, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence have been uh, a great support and resource for a lot of LGBT people. So I can see why folks would honor them. I can also see why um, folks who are Catholic or in that um, context might not love their kind of their shtick. Um, and I don't remember, I said a couple things, but like I can see like the nuance in both sides. I can see like that. You know, the church has caused uh, folks in the LGBT spectrum a lot of harm, a lot of pain. They've had a, a lot of negativity going their way. Um, but also, like, you know, I wouldn't necessarily love if, I don't know, someone came out and, like, danced uh, in a bunch of, like, I don't know, clergy robes, for instance. I wouldn't necessarily, like, love that either. So, I, I just, for me, I just found, like, there's a lot of nuance, and I, I feel like, Societally, if we could just like kind of stop running to our own teams or sides or whatever and recognize nuance, um, we might actually 
get some more things accomplished and find some common ground. But I think, you know, the way that um, things are set up right now in some ways, like we're rewarded and we gain attention for those kind of hot takes and, and extreme polarization efforts. Hmm. Yeah, you know, this also reminds me that I think maybe was it earlier this year that there was some controversy more than once uh, with hockey. Um, yeah, there were some fight right. nights that happened, and I know in one occasion it was um, a hockey player that I think he was Russian Orthodox and just mm-hmm. I mean, he, it sounded like he was very pleasant about it he wasn't being mean or being mm-hmm. anything he just said i i just don't agree and some sports journalists were just really angry about that mm-hmm. and you know obviously you know i'm as someone who who is gay it's it's great to see um things in sports i think be a little bit more tolerant mm-hmm. um of um, LGBTQ um, populations. However, I also know, or at least sometimes scratch my head because not everyone is, is there. Right. You know, there are a lot of people who have, I think a more conservative Christian faith. And I don't know if I'm doing a, if we're doing a good thing, if we're hounding them or making them, um, you know, just kind of immediately tarring them as bigots. I think, you know, not everyone is going to agree, and that's okay. I don't think that that's the end of the world. Um, and I think with the the Sisters for Perpetual Indulgence, it seems like, you know, I get their shtick. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, they've been around for decades. Um, it's kind of one of those things of how do you, you handle that, you know, you know, I guess one of the things I read somewhere is that, you know, a lot of the people, of course, who um, follow the Dodgers um, in Los Angeles, you know, most of them tend to be Latino. Right. Most of them tend to Catholic. be Catholic. So how do you handle that? And how do you do that in a way that isn't offensive to Catholics? Um, I don't think that this necessarily means that you can't have Pride Night. Obviously, they, they had been having Pride Night for years before this. So... Um, it, it feels like we just don't, as a culture anymore, know how to show kind of grace or at least make room for each other. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like it has to be my way, and if if you say anything bad, well, obviously then that's tantamount to, you know, wanting to, to persecute me or something. Right. Right. You wrote about this recently, right? Kind of the victimization. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't remember what the words you use exactly, but it's kind of like this this uh, appeal or, or allure, allure of victimization. Um, so that comes to mind. And I'll kind of guess, if I can name my privilege here as perhaps as, you know, a white male who probably be most easily identified as, you know, cisgender, hetero, whatever. Um these aren't necessarily topics that directly offend me. So let me preface it. Um, lay that big preface there down first. Um, you know, that being said, I, 
in other contexts, I found myself like knowing that people don't agree with, like, for instance, you know, my family are very conservative, um, feel, you know, religiously Christian. Um, I know that they don't agree with my theological positions. Um, you know, I've been in church context, more conservative church context where I know like they don't. So, I mean, it's difficult. I understand, um, to some extent, I'll preface it by saying to some, on some level, some small level, perhaps. Um, but I think my thought is like, I have to be okay with who I am. Uh, and I need to be okay. Like, regardless of whether I get external support, um, then I need to be okay. Like who I am, what I believe, what I'm about. Um, and I think that, that, you know, I'm kind of getting into this like old man phase, right? Get off my lawn. (laughs) You know, old enough where I'm like, Oh, these young kids, young whippersnappers. Um, but I, you know, I think it is, it probably is a good societal thing if we can be okay with like who we are. And yeah, like, I don't want to say like anger and hatred is something we want to just like look the other way at, but also like I'm of the opinion. And again, Dennis, like you can speak this far more than I can that I think, I think that we need a need to have space for people to be able to believe what they want. And again, from what I just prefaced earlier, like, I don't know if, can someone literally believe like someone is, you know, uh, what am I trying to say? Is it, the question is, is it possible to not be, uh, affirming, right. And non hateful. And my, my thought, again, I could be wrong in this, but my thought is that it's, possible to not be affirming and not be a bigoted hate filled whatever I think so. and i don't know if societally we have that space that nuance right yeah but i you know i, I think you bring something up that is that does make sense is that i think for me what's always been important is that i've had to realize that that kind of um having that se- internal sense of who you mm-hmm. are Right, knowing, and I think, especially as a Christian, who I am as a Christian, that right, I'm loved and and accepted by God, and that the outward stuff, you know, that's important, but you know, it's not the thing that I have to live and die on. And I think, right, I worry sometimes in our culture, and it's not yeah. just on 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 this issue, but on a lot of issues that we feel like ev- everything we always have to have this external affirmation right. for everything in right. our culture. And I just don't think you can live that, that you, you can't really have a society that way because not everyone's always going to be affirming you. And I mean, and, if I can jump in and speak yeah, to this, cause yeah. I like personally from another context, like I'll be really really real here and say like, I've really been wrestling with this a lot. Um, like I'm in a position, I'm in a position where I recently kind of made a big career shift where I'm working by vocationally now. Uh, and part of that was just the realization, like I'm not going to get 
like my career as a clergy person is not going anywhere. Um, and the, the, the reasons for that are varied and complex. Um, and I wish things were different. I really do. I love church. Um, I love working for church. I love doing church. Um, but like paying my bills and getting anywhere where I can support my family and God awful expensive Denver Metro, I needed to make more money. Um, and I just realized through a various sort of, through a varied sort of, you know, uh, reasons and, and situations and, and nuances that, you know, uh, so it's, it's, it's been hard for me, I guess. Um, and I, uh, there's a, there's a family systems theory coach that I follow. And, you know, one of his big things is like, what do you think you need that you really don't need? Um, and like, I think I need like, you know, a fancy title or a, or a big church or, a, or a, um, a national recognition or, you know, whatever, uh, whatever, like the, a mainliner or pastor might want, you know, a book deal. Like, uh, and I try to re- re- remind myself, like, I think I need that, but I don't need that. Like what I need is what I really need is to, um, my family, you know, the love of my family, um, friends, um, you know, a, a, a resonance, a closeness with God and a, and a trust in God that, um, I can continue to serve God and follow faithfully in whatever context I'm in. Um, so I, you know, again, I'm speaking from my context and want to understand that different people are going to feel things different ways. Um, but I do think to your point, um, having some kind of internal security, if that makes sense, really can go a long way. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that our culture is not good at, or it seems like, especially now in our culture, we aren't good at nuance. We aren't good at the grays. We're not good at even trying to accommodate for, for difference. Um, you know, you've talked in your, I think in your podcast or on your blogs, kind of defending, not necessarily defending, but kind of taking social media off the hook. And I was thinking about this, you know, and I was thinking about like the printing press is looked at as like the, the pivotal thing in the 1500s. But really, I think kind of to your point, like technology isn't like technology enables something that's already happening societally, right? Like, I don't think Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, like, really created this kind of individualistic um, bonkersville that we have today. Like, it's enabled it, um, and it's fed off it. But, like, like would in the 1500s, would they, like, would people be, would Martin Luther be, like, Instagramming if they had the technology? Like, I, I don't think so. Um, so... It also reminds me of someone we both are, I think, fans of Andrew Root mm-hmm. and his, I think, what, Church in the Crisis of Decline, talks about the imminent frame and, and the kind of the cult of individualism. At least those are my words. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think, like, societally, it's just like a thing of uh, where the individual is the greatest good, 
um, like, I think if I'm remembering, he talks about like the individual being like its own kind of like sanctity or I can't remember the word. Um, so, you know, if, if, if I myself in this kind of like pillar of individuality of, um, sanctuary, you know, if something within me gets, uh, you know, insulted or diminished, like kind of wrecks me. Um, whereas if my self-worth and value is not just based on me alone, but it's based on, you know, my relationships with my family, my friends, my faith community, my culture, you know, my, my, uh, my trade, you know, if I'm a tradesman, for instance, thinking, you know, back middle ages, um, then it's going to be a lot harder to kind of like diminish my self-worth is going to be more stable, perhaps. Mm. Yeah, I, that does, it is something to think about is how, you know, to, to kind of continue off of the whole Andrew Root thing and the imminent frame is that if there isn't anything that's beyond this, any sense mm-hmm. of transcendence, if it's just you, then any kind of slight is right. You're going to take it much more personally than right. Um, you would if you know that you aren't the end all and be all, um, which frankly, I'm kind of don't want to be the end all and be all. Cause <laughs> that's just too much work. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you know, I just don't think you can live really well. And, and I worry about that as a society is that, if everything is about us, then that really makes it hard for us to all live together. Um, and yeah, I, you know, especially at a time when I think we're we're far more diverse as a society than we used to be. We have to find ways of of how do we reach out to one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I I I know that in some DEI, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion spaces, um, that kind of difference is. I, I, maybe I'll say it this way. I think that there's a real uh, there's a question right now about like what is the best way to bring unity? Is it through like really emphasizing diversity, or is it looking for kind of universal common characteristics that we can share? And I think that's mm-hmm. a a real question I'm kind of curious to see how that plays out, you know, over these next five, 10, 15 years, like what is seen as like the best way to bring people together. Mm. There was an article, um, was written by Connor Friedersdorf who writes for the Atlantic. I think he wrote it around 2017. It was off of a book about kind of, this was just shortly after, uh, um, Donald Trump became president and, Mm -hmm. and, one of the things that he, this book that he wrote the essay on was that kind of what is kind of might allow for more, I guess, authoritarianism among some people is when you have a culture that highlights difference. Mm. When, mm. when you talk so much about how these people are so different yeah, and how we should really try to understand them and all that 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 makes it even worse mm. that when you that the way to kind of 
really kind of defuse any kind of slide or attempts of authoritarianism is to mm -hmm. find out what are the things that um, people have in common or that are similar to them. Yeah. Um, and I think that there is something to that because, you know, you're not going to get rid of difference, but if the people, I think by nature, I think we are, are, are somewhat tribal mm -hmm. and that the way that, we are able to kind of understand one another has to be through what are the things that we have in common? Because if, if, it, yeah. if all we're doing is focusing on the difference, that's just going to highlight, you know, highlight the tensions more. And I feel like we're leaning way too much on this whole people are different. Yeah. So and, yeah. Sorry to cut you off there. Nope, I've been nope, thinking nope, about okay. that. Like, you know, but think of that as far as language. So I work, I work now my, my full-time, other job is in uh, affordable housing, you know, so obviously there's a lot of like, you know, we don't want to call them homeless anymore. We're going to call them unhoused or people experiencing how experiencing homelessness, which, you know, I understand again, we don't want to say like you are, you know, we don't want their, their status to define who they are. Right. Mm -hmm. um, that being said, I think, I think it can be challenging because really when we think about how far, this kind of differentiation can be, it makes communicating really difficult when we can't just look at a person, um, or look at a, look at a context or like a box and say, that's a box. Um, and so it's like, no, that's, that's a shoe box or that's a, we keep having to find the difference. And, and then I think, I think two things can happen is a, it makes communicating effectively to one another really challenging. Cause if we don't necessarily, we don't have ways to kind of understand universally like that. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not geometry. Nope. Uh, you know, that's a box that four sides or whatever many sides a box has, right? A cube. Um, that's a box. And also like, I think to some extent, like there can kind of just be a fatigue of like, man, I just don't have time for like, I don't have time for all that. Um, you know, I did like a, I did like a, a DEI tape training and, um, I think it recommended like me to commit like 40, 50 hours to like grow. And I was just like, who in the world has 40, 50 hours? Like, <laughs> I mean, like for those unaware, like Dennis and I are literally recording this immediately after I just put my son to bed. And as soon as we're done, I'm going to go to bed. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of my, that's kind of my day. Um, so I don't know. I don't know, Dennis. Um, it could be wrong on this. Um, and obviously, I think folks disagree, but my thought is at least that, like, you know, I I don't want to diminish that people are different and have unique uh, giftings and personalities and, and differences, but also, like, I feel like there can be this, like, just breakdown of, like, um, you know, how, how do we even relate if we're so different, if that makes sense? Mm -hmm. Well, and I think you talked about an essay I did on victimization, and, and the the starting point was um, the song "Ebony and Ivory" by mm -hmm. uh, Paul McCartney and Stevie Wonder. And I kind of said, you know, it's it's kind of a schlocky, <laughs> a schlocky '80s song. Of uh, you know, it's very much of that time period of the early '80s, um, though it's hard to believe it's 41 years old. Um, which 
I, I will not say anything about your age because I know that yeah. it's around your age, <laughs> which also then says how old I am. Um, <laughs> um, but it was, it, but I think what I, as much as it's kind of a schlocky song, it was, there was something meaningful about that song because it was really trying to talk about how the two people from very, from very different backgrounds, different races were also, um, so I think it was, um, as sloppy as it was, I think it was also a song that talked a lot about the commonalities that mm-hmm. even though there are people from different races, from different backgrounds, there was also something that bound them together. Um, and as much as, you know, you just don't hear that as much these days. We don't seem to want to talk about commonalities. Um, we talk more about what makes us different. And, and you know, in, in ways that are much more stark, black and white. Mm-hmm. Um, that yeah. there are these people who are, are good and um, and these people who are always bad. And it, it's just not in a real realistic way of looking at things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like we've kind of lost that um, willingness to, to kind of seek out our common humanity. What do you think then, Dennis, if I can ask a question, you know, we're both clergy invested mm-hmm. in church. You know, what do you think about like the future of church, especially in more progressive contexts? Um, Obviously, church has been something that's been guilty of, um, you know, whitewashing or kind of like um, making making people kind of. Um, what am I trying to say? Make, making people conform to one dominant culture, which is often a white majority culture, mm-hmm. um, like. You know, to some extent, we need to have some kind of unity or um, commonality to gather together, which at least I believe is very important in, you know, communities of faith. You know, what do you think? What do you think about that as far as in church? Well, it's needed in church, but I feel I worry that church itself is becoming a place where we don't want to really understand difference. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think there was an something I wrote, and I, I've shared this um, back in the '90s um, when a lot of churches, especially a lot of mainline churches, were starting right. to deal yeah. with the yeah. issue um, and on on homosexuality. And churches were voting, um, and they would take a vote, and usually it would pass. It was interesting that someone would almost always say that there was there was, that we would have some healing to do that you know the community had been gone through this very hard issue and we needed to patch things up yeah and there was always a, that and, and in that sentence there was always the admission that not everyone was on the same page on this mm-hmm. and um that we have to find ways of trying to reestablish ties even when we don't agree. And it's funny over time, 
I don't hear that phrase anymore. Mm-hmm. And partially because we have so many congregations now where everyone just, and, and even full denominations where everyone just agrees. Um, or yeah. if they do agree or don't agree, they don't say anything or don't feel they can say anything anymore. I so, mean, in, in, yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to say like, in fairness to like us on the mainline progressive side, like Ed Stetzer talks about what he calls a great sort, you know, where, where people are doing this, not just in, you know, they're doing this in right, right wing churches. Mm-hmm. And like, there's, there's a story I saw about like, like, um, Christian nationalism as a church growth strategy, you know, like Charlie Kirk. Um, so and I think it is like a concerning trend for sure. Um, mm-hmm. I think it is. I mean, I think that that's happening all over the place and it's not just on the left. It's happening on the right too. You know, it's this sense of purity, you know, mm-hmm. I've got to be, pure and everyone else around me has to be pure. And if they're not, they're on the bad side and I haven't don't want anything to do with them. And that can't be healthy. And that can't be healthy for a culture when you're all basically saying, you know, you can only have the righteous on your side. And that, that takes us down some dangerous roads. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I sort of wonder, and I think uh, you retweeted this, you know, something Ryan Burge had shared about, or maybe it was in your article about Ryan Burge, um, kind of saying, you know, there needs to be some kind of faith space for people who are who want to hear women preachers, who, you know, who, who are who are affirming of, of gay marriage, for instance. Um, you know, I sometimes feel again as someone who spent like. 25 years of my life Baptist, you know, I sometimes feel like I'm a fish out of water in mainline space. And it's because like, where am I going to go in an an evangelical fundamental space where people are going to be like, cause I'm, you know, for me, I'd be like, I remember, uh, just to be super frank after my church plant ended during COVID times, like I was really disgruntled with mainline church for reasons beyond what we can talk about here today. And I was attending, attending like a independent Christian church, kind of our restoration siblings. Right. And it was a pretty cool church. Like they were very, like did a lot of social justice stuff, building like affordable housing on their property. Um, you know, a lot of stuff for mental health. I mean, really good stuff in their community trying to be uh, on the front end of stuff, like in their context. And then like, you know, they're, they're like, you can belong before you can believe all the kind of jargon. And then like one day I was attending and like the associate pastor gave this message about like basically saying like, Hey, if you don't believe the divinity of Christ, like you're, you're like, you know, you're demonic. I was like, well, shoot, I guess, I guess I can't attend here. Cause like, I don't know. Like, I, it's not like I doubt the divinity of Christ every day, but some days I'm like, huh, I don't know. And some days I'm like, uh, I don't care. Like, I don't, I don't think that matters. Um, but broadly speaking to your point, like, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, I guess it really depends. Like we're, we're in this like cultural milieu where, like you said, this kind of not doctrinal purity or, uh, political purity or, um, uh, yeah, 
tribalist purity really matters. And if you're not in, like you're out and that's the only thing that matters. Not like, you know, cause I, cause, cause I feel like I could, I, I feel like I could be at a church where they're like, we love God. We worship God. We love our neighbors. Like that's what we're about. Like, I feel like I'd be, I could be a part of the church, whether or not they're like, you know, I think I believe the Bible's a word of God. I'm like, okay, sure, fine, whatever. Uh, you know, even if they had very more conservative um, positions theologically than me, if they're like, hey, Lauren, what we care about is like loving God, loving others, you know, I could be cool with that. Well, I'm the same way. I mean, I'm, you know, there are probably churches that I probably wouldn't feel comfortable at. Right. But- but I also think that there are churches where I would could work with them because right. we at least we can agree on this and okay yeah you may not be so cool about the whole gay thing but as long as you're not you know hating on me I'm like, mm-hmm. okay that's fine I'm I'm cool with that um, but we kind of don't have we don't give people enough grace and we don't believe enough in things like persuasion mm-hmm. and even just patience with one another um anymore to really kind of go with the flow. I, I think it's just we're so unsure of each ourselves and worried, you know, that if we don't believe in something hundred and fifty percent, then it's everything is bad and I don't know. Well, I think it goes back to, if I can bring this back to our original point about nuance, Mm -hmm. like, I know how I change my beliefs. Like, I know how my opinions changed. It wasn't from someone yelling at my face. It wasn't from someone telling me that I'm an idiot. It wasn't from someone screaming at me on social media. Like, again, I'm a big family systems guy. So, again, this family systems guy I follow talks about, like, like, you can't change someone who's moving away from you. Like, there's nothing you say that's going to bring them closer to you if they're, you know, if they're moving away, they're, you know, um, only who's someone who's moving towards you can you hope to have some influence on. Mm-hmm. And again, you're not going to get, someone's not going to start moving towards you by you being a jerk to them or yelling at them uh, or to go back to our, you know, beginning conversation, telling them they're bigoted hateful person like that's not going to bring about change uh and i i believe that change is possible you know i'm a person who's changed drastically in a lot of my um beliefs and values you know from 15 20 years ago so i believe can change is possible um i believe in the the power of the work of the holy spirit i guess if i can be that bold to bring about change in people's lives um and also believe in the importance of us as followers of Jesus of discipling people. And again, I think that kind of mystery of how that all happens. That's why I like the visualization of like change can only happen when someone's coming, moving closer to you. Um, and I think some of that is going to take some work on our part. And I'm going to use a big universal we here. Uh, those on the on the left side or on the mainline progressive side, whatever side we're a part of, I guess, uh, to be comfortable with some discomfort of, you know, this person kind of rubs me the wrong way sometimes, but I don't, you know, but 
they're moving towards me. They're showing some interest and some reason, reasonality, respectability. Again, like I'm not saying like if someone's being a jerk to you, you just need to like take the bullets and take the, take the arrows. Like I've done that for too long and I'm tired of doing that. No, that, um, that's, that, that's what we call abuse. And that's, right, that's a different right. thing. Um, but I do think like if someone's like, someone's like, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm kind of curious or I have some questions like, that's an opening, perhaps. Yeah. Perhaps an opening by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I would agree with that. I um, I just feel like we have to find way better ways of reaching out and um, being willing to kind of talk to one another and not always be so afraid of each other either. And I think... Mm-hmm. And I think that's actually what it boils down to sometimes. I think we're afraid of each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe, maybe, maybe afraid, maybe conversely, or, or also, Dennis, going back to our kind of individualistic nature, maybe we're afraid that, you know, if, if, if I open myself up to you, Dennis, and, and you, mm-hmm insult me like am I secure enough in myself to say you know what man what Dennis said was freaking mean <laughs> but whatever like Dennis is a jerk or Dennis is having a bad day or whatever Dennis said I can get over it because I know who I am um again not to say that's easy uh yeah I I think it, it, it's just kind of learning to kind of accept that there's going to be some uncomfortableness. So there's mm-hmm. going to be some times when things are just not going to work out. But I think that life is supposed is going to be uncomfortable at times. And mm-hmm. if we think that life is always going to work out and that you never have to worry about anything Mm, doesn't work that way. Yeah. So I want to actually, well, with some of the time we have left, quickly move on to the other thing that I wanted to talk about little is the, um, what happened with the Southern Baptists, um, a few weeks ago. And, um, for those who don't know, they, um, decided to, um, I don't know if I want to say effectively or they basically decided to kick out uh Saddleback church in California and some other churches mm-hmm. that were also um, not that had women in pastoral roles. Mm-hmm. Um, but this has also put a lot of other congregations kind of in a no man, no man's land because um they have people in roles of of um, women that are in pastoral roles, and they don't know what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I kind of was curious what you're thinking about that. Um, it's it's been interesting to watch, um, and especially interesting to see from Rick Warren's perspective, his mm-hmm. really engaging scripture, being willing to change, yeah, his mind on that issue. And then also um, 
how some of the people who are there didn't are and very much are are steadfast in their belief against it, really to the point of kicking out churches. Right. I mean, I I don't know. This is where I, Dennis, I, I question how liberal I am, and then I realize, boy, I must be pretty liberal because I just I just don't understand how you could be like this is the issue. Boy, this is the issue. Women pastors, we're just gonna like, we're just gonna, you know, in or out based on women pastors. I mean, <laughs> I remember several several years ago, my youth pastor came back into town at an event, and uh, it was a conservative Baptist event because he was he was and still is very conservative. And I remember saying to the something to the congregation or to as a youth gathering, saying something to the youth there, like, hey, some of you, like I was twenty years ago, are gonna come out of this and become youth pastors. And I realized as I said that, that I was saying that where only the boys, the young men, could become clergy. And I was kind of sad in my heart then for those young women. Um so I you know, again, this is something that Again, uh, from my sex and my gender that I can't totally relate and understand to women. Um, so I guess like my only thought was like, is like, man, I'm sorry. Uh, y'all have had to put up with that garbage and just like a I just want to affirm you like in, in the gifts that you've, you have and, and, uh, affirm your, the calling that you believe you receive from God. Um, I will say like for myself, you know, I know there's been times myself where, you know, people have, uh, dis- diminished or dismissed, like, you know, my calling and I, from, from my experience, I know it's been hard, so I can, I can, I can really only imagine, you know, what it's been like for, for some of y'all. And, and, uh, so just, you know, want to encourage you if, if if I can in any way of been like stay at it um stay at it why do you think that there have been people that they they've made this really a, a literally a confessional issue that yeah this is the way that it has to be which I mean relates to our earlier talk of mm-hmm. of how things have right. to be that there's no space right. for nuance no yeah. space of yeah it just it's weird isn't it? I can't I can't understand it. Like, I can't understand, like, I mean, I I don't get, frankly, how, I mean, I frankly don't get how people are like, you know, you have to, uh, like, uh, the the exclusivity, like, the exclusivity of Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. Like, that's a, that's a point of uh, division amongst faith. And, uh, like, that's one thing where I just don't get, like, boy, we're so insecure in our faith that we have to, like, believe God is sending everyone else to hell. Like, um, you know, that's another thing where I'm just like, I just don't, I just don't get it. And, and I'll just acknowledge kind of my own difference of opinion there that I just don't get how, you know, acknowledging women in ministry. Um, and I, you know, I, I guess if I'm being a little, a little bit more rational, obviously goes to a more, a very traditional conservative, uh, literalist reading of scripture and, you know, um, it it is a bit of a slippery slope there, you know. I I hate like the slippery slope analogy, kind of as a as a logical fallacy to some extent, but also get like, you know, conservative again speaking as someone who's fundamentalist, like 
that the thing is kind of wound up so tight if if I may like if you start to pull up some strings like the really the whole thing can unravel if that makes sense so I, I do wonder if there's some of that involved like like there's this realization like you know like um you know the Genesis creation story like we have to be like six days or else the whole thing might unravel you know that that, that kind of thing like we have to think that women can't be pastors because there's this text in uh was it Timothy or whatever? I can't remember, you know? Uh, and if we, we, if we start to allow any nuance there, the whole thing might unravel. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, there is something somewhere where, um, cause I was actually preaching a little bit on this this weekend. And, um, one of the reasonings, believe it or not for, for this is the, the belief or the, the fear that if you allow women in ministry, that that will lead to gays mm-hmm. in ministry. And I'm like, God forbid, right? <laughs> okay. So, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> I just, I kind of thought they're going, um, well, okay. I guess since I'm in ministry, you know, I guess. Yes, it's true, but yeah, right. You know, it's also not the end of the world. But okay, you know, yeah. I mean, that's why I don't like I don't like the slippery slope argument as like a rational argument because I think we can just kind of say, well, where does it stop? Well, it stops right there. That's where we say it stops. Um, to you know, I, I don't like that societally, even though I, I get there's some tendency to it, but I think human beings are can be rational at times to say like, Hey, let, let's stop it right there. So to speak, whatever our kind of, whatever our kind of trend or change is going to be. I, I guess the thing is, is though it's, and I understand there are, are traditions that they have very different mm-hmm. understandings on ministry and, and all that. But I also feel even in those traditions there is some room made in some ways and that this is kind of not making room and it's personally i feel like it's kind of stopping the holy spirit yeah i mean maybe to say it this way i guess i mean the the patriarchy is strong right um there there are i mean there are especially in those contexts, there are systems, really strong systems set up to um, keep things one way. Um, or, you know, the man is the head of the household. And um, so uh, it, as much as I think it's preposterous, I can kind of see why there's such rigid resistance to it because it really would in some ways upset the entire apple cart, I think. And maybe that's why, um, the, yeah, um, you know, again, as a, as a, as a male, I don't, I don't have to, so have to deal with those things, think. So, yeah. Um, I know that I want to, cause I know you wanted to, um, hold you to a certain time, so, but. I think one final question just on this is that, you know, what do you think is the, 
what do you think? How do you think that this is going to affect the the Southern Baptists in the years to come? I mean, it just it's it's bizarre. I remember when I was a I was a kid, Dennis. Because it wasn't the late eighties where they had their kind of liberal. Was it the late eighties or early nineties? They had their kind of like liberal split off, where like they it rejected was the liberals. Late eighties, early nineties, yeah. 90s, yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember like. I remember my dad telling me about like how that was a good thing. Again, grew up in a conservative context. Um, and I think there was this kind of really like, they seem to kind of rejuvenate from that. You know, if you look kind of perhaps at the trends, you know, that, that didn't affect them at all. Um, but again, to our broader trend, we've been talking about this throughout this of like this kind of splintering. I, I don't know. I could be wrong here. Um, could be wrong, but I, you know, and, and it, it, maybe maybe let me say it this way: we were talking about sports at the beginning. Yeah, one of the critiques of, of of baseball, Major League Baseball, is that it's like a regional sport. You know, the Yankees, the Dodgers, um, whereas like the NFL just seems to like be huge everywhere, like regardless of the part of the country. Um, I think in some ways, like church and denominations are going to kind of become like a regional. Like the SBC is going to be huge, and like, you know, the 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 Sun Belt probably. Um, and we, we really we pretty already see this to some extent. Like, you know, the SBC is is good in Texas, and the in the Sun Belt, you know, liberal congregations are doing okay. In, um, I mean, okay is whatever. You know, liberal congregations are more likely to be up in in the on the coast, for instance. So that's that's what I sort of wonder. Like, is is American Christianity really going to become like regionalized um, based on the demographics of those areas? Hmm. Well, time will tell. That yeah. sounds like a topic for another <laughs> another episode at another time. So, Lauren, thank you for for joining me as we talk talk about these events, and hope to have you back on soon. Kind of talk about what's going on in the news. Sure. All right, take care. that the discussion with Lauren was engaging. And um, again, you can um, follow him on his uh, Future Christian podcast. The link is in the description. If you're interested um, in leaving, uh, please consider leaving a podcast review. You can do that on your favorite podcast app. Also consider subscribing to Church in Maine, and you can do that by going to churchinmaine, all one word, dot substack, dot com. So there are more interviews coming up um, in the next few weeks. And um, so stay tuned for those uh, upcoming episodes. That is it for episode 149 of Church in Maine, the podcast that is at the intersection of faith and modern life. I'm Dennis Sanders, your host. Take care, Godspeed, and I will see you very soon. 